So today we are on our second way. Look at me dropping bits of paper everywhere. Just bear with. Uh, today we are looking at Miriam, who is uh, another character from the Old Testament. Sorry, we're still finding pages. Here we go. So Miriam. Miriam, uh, I'm just going to put her into context for those that might not be so familiar with her. Miriam is the sister of Moses and uh, Aaron. We first meet her in the book of Exodus, which is the second book of the Old Testament, um, when uh, the Pharaoh at the time had decreed that all the baby boys in the Hebrew nation should be killed off because he didn't want the nation to be growing and being prosperous. Even though they were in slavery, they seemed to be doing rather well numbers-wise. So he was threatened by that. He wanted to kill them all off. So um, Moses was born. You may be familiar with the story that he was put into a basket and placed in the River Nile where he was found by Pharaoh's daughter and he was watched by his sister Miriam. And um, when Pharaoh's daughter found Moses, she pipes up with, let me go and find someone who can help you care for this child, and then geniusly goes and gets his mother. So Moses is then, um, in the early stages, raised by his mother before Moses then grows up as an Egyptian prince. Moses, in context, is the leader of the um, Hebrew nation who leads them out of slavery from Egypt through up to the point of the promised land. Um, And they're in the desert for 40 years because the Israelites are human and don't get it right very often. But there we are. So um, we meet Miriam again in Exodus chapter 15 after the parting of the Red Sea. So as the waters are kind of crashing back down on the Egyptian army. um, So the Israelites have got to the other side. Moses bursts into song. And so Miriam grabs her tambourine and leads the women in the worship too. So there's a lot of praising God for his goodness and for his um, compassion as they finally are freed from the slavery. So by default, so Aaron is the other brother. So there's Moses, Aaron, and Miriam. And these are kind of a holy family. Moses is God's appointed leader. Aaron, the brother, has been appointed as the high priest. So he's, um, so they're a Levite family. Um, so he's in charge of kind of the spiritual well-being. And then there's Miriam, who is clearly a, women, uh, a leader of the women of Israel. So she has influence, she will have respect, and she's actually described in the book of Micah. Um, it says that her and Aaron had leadership responsibilities. Um, and in verse 20 of chapter 15 in Exodus, it says she's a prophet. Now, we've had this last week. Deborah was a prophet, so it means that they've got a good relationship. She hears from God and she speaks his word to others. So that's a little bit about her uh, as a person, I think, that we can glean. But today we're looking at another story of Miriam, which is it's quite a challenging one to us all, actually. Um, but it felt like the right thing to do. So we're going to have a look at uh, Numbers, which is the fourth book of the Old Testament. Numbers chapter 12. And I'm going to read it in chunks like I did last week. So here we go. Um, oh, that might not be helpful. <laughs> Fair enough. Okay, the setting is wrong, so you're just going to have to try and bear with me um, as I read it to you. So, and now I can't see because I've got wrong glasses. Anyway, so Miriam and Aaron began to talk against Moses because of his Cushite wife, for he had married a Cushite. Has the Lord spoken only through Moses, they asked. Hasn't he also spoken through us? 
And the Lord heard this. Now Moses was a very humble man, more humble than anyone else on the face of the earth. At once the Lord said to Moses, Aaron and Miriam, come out to the tent of meeting, all three of you. So the three of them went out. Then the Lord came down in a pillar of cloud. He stood at the entrance to the tent and summoned Aaron and Miriam. So there's the beginning of the story. So we open up with Miriam and Aaron having a bit of a moan. They're grumbling about Moses. And they start grumbling by the fact that he seems to have married a Cushite. And that might actually be a valid point because the Israelites were told they should marry within their nation, not to marry foreigners, as it were. So it might have been a genuine concern, but they were still mumbling about it. And it seems that then the conversation, um, Cushites were from Ethiopia, did I say that? So they were definitely out of uh, boundaries of Israel. But then then their conversation moves on and they start um, questioning uh, Moses' relationship with God. And I wonder how easy it is for us as ourselves to get into that kind of situation. We start having a little grumble and sometimes conversations, if they gather up enough speed and energy, excuse me, we can then start like a character assassination on someone if we're really disgruntled. And we can all start being very judgmental. I know I've been in that situation. I'm sure others in this room might have done as well. So um, it's, it's quite easy to let it escalate out of control. But as... Uh, Miriam and Aaron are talking, they're starting to question, well, you know, hasn't God spoken through us as well? I think because of who they were, perhaps they were discussing why they weren't getting quite as much recognition as Moses, or I don't know. It doesn't actually say why they were complaining, but the fact is that they were complaining and God heard them. And the writer of this passage makes it very clear that Moses is a very humble man. In fact, it says he was more, more humble than anyone else on the face of the earth, which is, you know, quite an accolade. The Lord gets really angry and calls them to the tent of meeting, and that's the place where they gather to meet with God in that place. But he comes as the pillar of cloud, and he stands in the entrance, so he's blocking their entrance into there because he's that cross with them. And he's almost saying, well, no, you're not going in there today because I'm cross. And so he then summons Aaron and Miriam to step forward. And if I was Aaron or Miriam at this point, I think I might be gulping and slightly trembling and thinking, oh my goodness, what's coming next? So I think there might have been a real fear going on there. But anyway, so that's the the first bit. And then it goes on to say, uh, listen to my words. This is the Lord speaking. When there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, reveal myself to them in visions. I speak to them in dreams. But this is not true of my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house. With him I speak face to face, clearly and not in riddles. He sees the form of the Lord. Why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? And the anger of the Lord burned against them, and he left them. Strong words indeed. He's really angry. And he immediately defends Moses by way of making it very clear that he has a very special relationship with him. That in fact they meet in person, they speak plainly, there's no discernment is not needed in this process, you know. God says it straight to Moses. And it says that he sees the form of God. Um, If we we look to the face of God, actually 
it would finish us off because he is so pure, so glorified. We can't do that, um, or without Jesus anyway. But in those days, no one saw the face of God. So he would have seen the form of God. So they would have been in person, but not necessarily face to face as we would imagine. But God affirms Moses in front of Miriam and Aaron, and he reminds them that Moses is his appointed leader, and therefore he is worthy of the greatest respect. I think with this in mind, this is a challenge to us, actually, that we have a duty to respect our leaders in whatever capacity. They've been put in their position, and our job is not to be critical or judgmental, however hard it might be. And actually, that's really quite difficult to say right now particularly given the messiness of our national leadership. I mean, I have many gripes, but I don't want to be Prime Minister or a Member of Parliament because I just think it's a thankless job. How, whoever you are, however you are, I think it's really difficult. And, we, and it's not necessarily in the nation. We've all come across leaders who we might find really difficult. But the fact is that they've been appointed as a leader, and it's our job to respect them and to um, honour that position that doesn't mean that we can't pray and pray and pray for God to help us to be gracious and, you know, to get through it. But it's not our place to judge. You know, God alone is our judge. And so however much we want to be, it's, it's a real challenge. And I wonder why we find it so easy to be critical or judgmental of others. Personally, I think it comes from a subconscious need to make ourselves feel better to feel perhaps more we are. We're trying to suss out where we fit on the moral compass. Are we better? Are we worse? Perhaps we're trying to work out our place in the pecking order. I don't know. But I think we, it's probably safe to say that we, we all have our moments when we do judge others. And it might just be because uh, we're trying to subconsciously work out if we're better than them or not. But I think the thing we need to remember, and Amy's touched on this, is that, um, they, well, there's usually a reason why people are how they are, if they're a bit prickly or a bit grumpy. There's usually something that has caused them to be that way, whether it's a, a thing in the moment or if it's been a long-running thing. Everyone has a backstory. Everyone has been on a journey to get to the point where they are today. And every person alive is made in the image of God, whether or not they're saved. And because of that, we owe them respect of treating them as someone made in the image of God. Even the difficult people, the people who we might not want to associate with, whether they are, you know, from the highest society and have perhaps bad attitudes or from the lowest of society and have nothing and are treated appallingly because they are. And I think it's a real challenge to us to treat everybody equally and as um, someone made in the image of God. And this passage goes on to say that the Lord's anger burns against Miriam and Aaron outside that tent, and his, his presence leaves it. And I think that would be a very sorry state to be in when you actually feel the presence of God move away. Just recently, we had a quiet day down at Radford Semele Church, and I don't know if you know the history of it, but some years ago, it burnt down. And the vicar was telling us this story, and he actually said he was really moved that he said the day that he came down, he was told about the fire, they'd gone down to the church. 
And he said in the wreckage, he said, I felt that the presence of the Lord had gone. And he was really moved by that. And that really struck me. And I think we are so fortunate that we have God's presence with us. I don't know quite what it, I don't want to ever find out what it's like when the presence of God leaves. So um, I just thought I'd share that with you. So Miriam and Aaron must have been a bit shell-shocked and a bit stunned. But we'll go on to the next part of the passage. So as God leads... Sorry, let's read the Bible first before we go on to that. Beg your pardon. There we are. Verse 10. When the cloud lifted from above the tent, Miriam's skin was leprous. It became as white as snow. Aaron turned towards her and saw that she had a defiling skin disease. And he said to Moses, Please, my Lord, I ask you not to hold it against us, the sin we have so foolishly committed. Do not let her be like a stillborn infant coming from its mother's womb with its flesh half eaten away. It's a bit of a grim picture. So Moses cried out to the Lord, Please, God, heal her. The Lord replied to Moses, If her father had spit in her face, would she have not been in disgrace for seven days? Confine her outside the camp for seven days. After that, she can be brought back. So Miriam was confined outside the camp for seven days, and the people did not move on until she was brought back. And after that, the people left Hazareth and then encamped at the desert of Paran. So as God leaves, Miriam can see that her hand has become leprous. And um, that is... uh, there was a blanket term for many skin ailments in those days. It might not necessarily have been actual leprosy, but something similar. But the treatment was the same, and it was to be banished outside of the camp because leprosy was contagious. They didn't want other people to get it, and it can kill you. And so, you know, she's seen that she's got this skin ailment as a result of her, um, her sin, as it were. And so Aaron cries out to Moses on her behalf, Moses, in turn, cries out to God on her behalf. And God, in his mercy, heals her, but she still has to suffer the consequences of her actions. So she has to wait outside of the camp in isolation, and we all know what that feels like, uh, for seven days, and then we move on. And they've moved on. And God has disciplined Miriam for her judgmental attitude, for her critical spirit. And Aaron is quick to own that action as sin, Maybe Miriam took the rap for both of them. I don't know. The Bible doesn't say. But even so, she's the one that she took the punishment and she had to pay the price. And let's be honest here. You know, we all make judgments every single day. Some of them are helpful. Some of them are not. Some of them we, are our opinions. You know, we get to the edge of the road and we decide, are we going to cross it right now or are we going to wait until that car's gone past? You know, that's a kind of safe judgment to make I think we might look at someone and think what are they thinking wearing that that's an opinion and it's more of a you know so we we are making these things and it might be we look at someone and go what why are they doing that what's going and we don't know the whole story behind them sometimes it's best to leave our opinions to ourselves and there you know lots of things our opinions are based on our thoughts and so with that in mind I think it's really good to concentrate on Philippians 4, verses 8 and 9, which I now need to find because they're not on the screen. It's a familiar passage to a lot of people. And please bear with me while I find it, because I don't know it by heart yet. There we go. So finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is right, true... 
whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put into practice and the peace of God will be with you. So this is Paul uh, urging the Philippians to fill their minds with good and wholesome things. And it really applies to us today because out of our minds, <clears throat> uh, that's where everything happens, isn't it, in our minds. So if our minds are filled with good and wholesome things, hopefully then what comes out of our mouth will be good and wholesome. Our actions will be good and wholesome. The more we concentrate on these good things, the more we're renewed. So in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, it says, Do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. I remembered it. And so we, are, we can be transformed by our minds being renewed constantly with these good things. You know, God looks at the attitudes of our heart. We shouldn't have a critical spirit at all, but we should have one of grace in the same way that he pours out his grace on us. Proverbs 20, uh, chapter 4, verse 23, tells us to guard our hearts as it's the wellspring of life. So what's in our hearts also often comes out of our mouth and our actions. So we need to guard that. We need to be praying that um, God will help us to guard our hearts. So in Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 to 5, we're dancing around a bit today. Bear with me. We've got Jesus' words on judging others. He says, Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eyes and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. It's quite simple when you think about it, isn't it? But hard to do. He instructs, he instructs us to look at others. No, to look at ourselves, sorry, before commenting on other people. And he warns us that the measure we use on others will be used against us. So I thought it might be helpful to look at what judgment looks like for us as Christians. So we're going back to basics here. I'm sure you already know this. But as Christians, we're saved from our sin, and we all sin. And Jesus came to save us by shedding his blood. So we're, we are saved from our sin when we become a Christian by the blood of Jesus. We are inherently sinful by nature, and we sin because we are sinful. We can't help it. We'll never get it right on our own. But with Jesus, we are saved. He has saved us from the penalty of our sin. So we are justified and made new. In our human life, we are being saved from the power of sin through every day of our lives. We are led by the hand, sometimes kicking and screaming, as God transforms us from our old life into his new one. And it's an ongoing process, and it will be ongoing until the day we get to meet him face to face. And then right at the end of time, on that judgment day, We'll be saved from the presence of sin in our lives. 
We are called to give an account of our life on that day, but the outcome is assured. If Jesus is our saviour, then we'll be saved. We get to spend eternity with him in that perfect freedom, and there's absolutely nothing to fear. And I think Jesus, having paid the price for our sins and for all the things that we've done wrong, I, I think the judgment is more about the attitude of our heart. So when God meets us, he will look at how we've spent our lives on others by um, doing the things that Jesus did and the things that he's asked us to do. And because we have this freedom, we, it doesn't give us carte blanche to do what we want. We still need to follow in his ways. But it is reassuring to know that when we make our mistakes, God won't hold it against us. In the same way that he forgave Miriam, he didn't hold it against her. He punished her, she paid the consequences, and she was drawn back into the fold, and off they went. And despite her faults, Miriam was a leader of the Hebrew women. She was a prophet, and she was a worship leader. And she was also a human who could speak of the forgiveness of God. There is something of her that we can all identify with. And we can be encouraged that the Lord is constantly working to transform us more into his likeness. So let's be women who love each other, who speak kindly about others, who radiate grace and mercy so that we can lead others to do the same. Amen. Ooh, there we go. So let, I will just pray and then it will be time to go into our groups. And there are some questions on the tables and need another drink go grab one of those as well but let me pray lord we thank you that through jesus death and resurrection we can draw close to you we thank you that we are forgiven so when we make mistakes we know that we can come to you you'll forgive us and we can carry on lord shape us transform us make us into the women that you have uh, designed and created us to be and help us every day to walk with you more closely in jesus name amen there we go. If you don't know, if you're new, I think everyone does know where their group is, but if you're new, the welcome group's in that corner otherwise. And if you're a bit confused, come and find me. <laughs>